Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay. Hello. Hi. Today we're sitting down with the talented Kathleen Newman-Bermang, the most badass writer, producer, and the senior editor of Refinery29. One of the many things we admire about Kathleen is her shameless pride when using her voice to write about diversity and inclusion in Hollywood. Wherever she goes, she is a significant part in making any production successful. Kathleen, you have dipped your toes into absolutely every area that any aspiring writer and producer would dream of being exposed to. So how did you start and how did you get here? Wow. First of all, thank you <laughs> for that intro a lot. And I got to shout out Refinery29 Unbothered, which is specifically our vertical for Black women, which is where I'm oh, the singer editor at right now. Amazing. I love it. Um, so good. So, yeah, I mean, I say this a lot because it's true, but it's annoying as well. I was that kid at 10 years old who knew exactly <laughs> what she wanted to do with her life. And I just was watching 60 Minutes a lot with my parents. Yeah. Oh, wow. Watching a lot of Oprah. Yes. Watched a lot of much music. And I just knew I wanted to be in media. And so I took every step possible to get there. Uh, I went to Ryerson for journalism school. I did internships. Um, my last internship out of school was at Much Music. And then I just stayed. And then I was at Bell Media, which owned owned Much Music for about a decade in like various jobs. Wow. And now I'm at Refinery29. And how is that? It's great. So I started um, specifically at Refinery29 Canada as a staff writer. And it was really cool because, first of all, women's media in Canada, there's not a lot, right? Like yeah. it's like Chatelaine. That's it. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> right? Um, and so there's not a lot of people speaking to women in our in our demo. Mm-hmm. So that was really exciting for me, especially I just come from The Social, which is a woman's talk show, right? So it was an audience I felt like I was familiar with, but I was excited to be able to do it kind of on my own terms. And then when I got promoted to senior editor, um, well, actually, I got promoted to senior writer which was cool. And then I got promoted to senior editor and I'm bothered. And then this is a chance for me to just 
speak specifically to Black women, which, mm. again, when we're talking about Canadian media, well, that is very rare. Doesn't happen. No one talks to us. Right. Um, no one thinks of us. <laughs> yeah. My boss is a Black woman. Most of my meetings all day are with Black women. Oh, Stunning. That's and nice. it's... Um, it's a dream. It's very truly so refreshing. <laughs> yeah, honestly, after the career I've had, yes, this is very refreshing. Well, that's literally the greatest dovetail because what I want to know is, did you have a turning point in your career? Obviously, being a Black woman in media, being a Black woman in Canada, just being a Black woman in general, it's a thing, especially when you're in the corporate world. So did you have a turning point that just changed things for you? No. I think it was a lot of little things like that whole like death by a, th a thousand cuts thing. You know, um, anyone who's dealt with microaggressions, especially in a corporate setting. Yeah, they just eat, eat away at you one at a time. And so I, I don't think I had a big epiphany or a big moment where I was like, I have to change the situation. It was just eventually after all of the cuts, like those little cuts. And then after all of um, being told I wasn't as worthy as I knew I was and, you know, getting passed over for promotions. After all of that, I was like, how long before I start believing this? And if I stay, I'm going to start believing it. Totally. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, I have to get out of the situation because right now I know that I'm better than this. But if I stay, I'm, I'm not going to believe that anymore. The gaslighting. Oh like, yeah. Exactly. Also, the strength that you need to have within yes. yourself. To not believe it, right? Yeah, I, yeah, and I didn't always feel like that. I right. mean, in the, the beginning of my career, I was, like, scared of my own shadow. Like, I was so scared of everything and so nervous, and I was terrified of being in front of the camera. I, I really took a lot of things silently. Yeah, it's just a lot of little breaking points, I guess. And then me having a great family unit around me, great friends— who would constantly remind me of my worth. And I'd tell them situations that come home and I'd be like, this person got this promotion over me or this, or like, they're not letting me do this or whatever. And then my friends and family would, would be like, you know that that's fucked up. Right. They tell you. <laughs> right. Yes. And then I'd be like, oh yeah, no, you're right. It is. Because and it did feel for the most part, super normal, right? Like, sure. You could talk to people and if they weren't supportive of you, they could be like, well, maybe. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a big one for sure. And um, I think that's also about, you know, I was having conversations with other black women in my life who had been in those situations. And so they were like, yeah, that's not normal. Right. That's not just because, yeah, every now and then if you're uh, dealing with a, a microaggression or something that is small or subtle, I don't even like using those two words because they feel very big right. when they're happening. But you kind of get in your head because of the gaslighting, because of the white supremacist society we've grown up in. <laughs> um, you start to you start to question. You're like, was that racist? That felt racist, but was it? <laughs> you know, and and having those conversations with other black women, you're like, no, nah, yeah, it was. And especially in media, I'm so blessed to have have friends and have a community of other black women in in this industry. And we pull each other up and we, yeah, check each other and say, you shouldn't you shouldn't settle for that. I think one of the big things that happens too is we get conditioned to if if someone makes us uncomfortable, we're conditioned to not make that other person uncomfortable. So if you say something back, especially as a black woman or anything that you're doing, you're like, hey, this thing you said made me uncomfortable. And then people are like, oh, don't get upset. Don't get defensive. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
<laughs> you right. literally just asked me why you can't use the n-word like what yeah yeah <laughs> and that's yeah. what's crazy and, and even so, i have so many stories like that and i've i've been trying to stay away from going back to the specifics first of all because it's like kind of re-traumatizing yeah. for me and second of all i feel like we've all been doing that so much since the summer is talking about the specific examples so people will finally like see and understand our lived experience and the racism that we have to deal with and i feel like by now it's like we should be moving past the specific examples like y'all should know that they exist Mm -hmm. this is happening this is what we're going through and yeah we shouldn't have to be reliving our trauma for things to change or for people to understand that this is a real issue i just feel like we're past that step but uh, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. the you know? second you think we've yeah. Moved yeah. On forward. the other hand. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Which is really actually frustrating. I think it's it's probably the most frustrating thing since June, May, June, when George Floyd was murdered by police and this like fallout that happened. The most frustrating thing is that I don't feel like we've moved past that conversation. No. It's still does racism exist yeah. and right. prove it to me? The and questioning. Yeah. Yes. Who should have to prove their trauma to you so <laughs> yes. you can understand? Yeah. yeah. So yes. you can feel comfortable with it. So during COVID, there's been so much, but there's also been so much of a pivot. Everybody's been pivoting and moving and changing and working with the challenges. Do you have like a specific resource that has helped you pivot and move and change? Or do you just like buckle in and just, well, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta keep Ooh. moving. Yeah, I am a buckle-in type person, which I don't think is healthy. (laughs) Uh, um, My resources have been my girlfriends, Mm -hmm. my big brother, both of my big brothers, who are my best friends. Yeah, talking to them a lot. I mean, I put a lot on my friends and my family (laughs) and my partner, to be honest. Uh, I uh, put a lot on them and my therapist. Mm -hmm. But COVID has been, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very privileged that I have a job. I got promoted during this, which, Woo! yeah, which is, I, yeah, I know how fortunate I am because I know a lot of people have lost their jobs during mm-hmm. this. So I, but I, I'm, I toggle between gratitude right. and then also knowing that I need to rest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, feeling grateful for my job. I'm like, okay, but I have to keep working. There's so many people who aren't in this position. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, I work through burnouts, which is not a healthy thing at all. <laughs> so, and it, that it, it's exasperated when you're at home. Right. You know, I yeah, that is the feel biggest that. thing with COVID. It's like it, your workday never ends. No. Boundaries who? There's no ba- like, exactly. It, I don't know her. Boundaries. boundaries. We try. But yeah. It's like Saturday at 9 p.m. and the client, you're like, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> but no one has anywhere to go. So yeah. they're like, well, I know you're not doing anything. Let's or are you illegally? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. everybody's in your business. Like, yeah. constantly. I mean, Coco mentioned at the beginning how you have just used your voice to advocate for all things diversity and inclusion and even just reaching the audience that has never been communicated to before. You're obviously a strong woman and it would be naive to think that you have never received pushback when you want to move forward with writing a piece or publishing a piece and someone's like, no, I want to cover this instead. How do you go through that? How do you stand your ground? Yeah, that happened a lot when I was in television, and it was tough. Uh, It happened a lot because I think 
my bosses were a very like old guard and were raised in that system in a very particular way. And that particular way is racist. Legit that, that particular way that a lot of like people are taught uh, to um, make media in this country is think of a, uh, an audience that is white. Um, our audience isn't going to like that. And a lot of times when they say our audience isn't going to like that, it's about stories that you're trying to push for, for marginalized communities, um, stories that make people uncomfortable. Um, and it was really frustrating. Yeah. And it was frustrating too, because a lot of the times I was the only black person in the room. And I've said this before, but I would like, I'd go to work on like a Tuesday and be in a morning meeting fighting for my humanity. <laughs> and that's not normal. No. It shouldn't be normal. And yeah, that was, it was really frustrating. And I think it was part of, to go back to like those, those, you know, the death by a thousand cuts, like that was part of the exhaustion where I was like, I don't want to have this fight every day anymore. But as far as my writing, I've been really fortunate in that I wrote for Lainey Gossip, Elaine Louie, who's a good friend of mine, for a while while I was still producing. And she pretty much gave me free reign, which was great. And then at Refinery29, my first editor was Carly Fortune, and she's also super supportive and great. And we would just talk out some stuff and she would never say no don't write that and then now again I'm I'm this is the work the work that I do at Unbothered is pretty much what I want and what I've been fighting to do literally for my the journey career. that you had to yeah. go through got so, you to where you are writing wise it's it's pretty great in that I I don't have any pushback to what I want to write but the pushback comes after the pushback comes mm. after a piece comes out and then, you know, there's people in my mentions and all of that. I try not to read the comments. Yes. I was just going to ask, how do you <laughs> how deal do you, with that? Backlash? How do you protect yourself? Um, not that? reading the comments. Mostly. I mean, sometimes I do. And also, I mean, working for an, on, I mean, it's not technically an online publication, but, you know, when you're, you're writing things that go online, yeah. comments and views and all that is a way to gauge the success of a piece sometimes. So like my editors will be looking at the comments or a colleague will be like, oh, the comments are this. And it's not malicious by any way. They're just being like, hey, this is the engagement we're getting. Right. Um, and so in those moments, sometimes I do take a peek mm. and <laughs> sometimes that is not great for my mental health. But other times, you know what? We have a really smart audience and also a lot of our audience are black women. And we have really there's some really great conversations that happen in the comments. And I, so I try to focus on those yes. and not focus on the trolls or the people who get in my mentions. Like last night I was even like just tweeting about The Bachelor and some guy got in my comments and called me a racist because that's why oh. people love calling black people oh, to talk about race, racist. Um, Here we go. Reverse right? racism. Oh yeah, my exactly. God. And then he called me sweetheart or something like super condescending. Oh, no. And I was just like, I was ready. I was ready to like fire <laughs> off. To just like yeah. dunk on him. And then I'm just like, it's not worth my time. Like, it's not, not worth tonight. my peace. Yes. Yes. Not today, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just lay this down. And I didn't do it. And so that's, yeah, part of like not engaging is part of it, I think. Has anybody from your past that you've worked with reached out to you to apologize or speak through or work on the way they've treated you? <laughs> yeah. I always wonder about that. So when I wrote, I wrote a piece um, in July 
uh, called for Black women, women in Media, A Dream Job is a Myth. And oh, I remember yes. that one. That was a great one. We read that. Thank you. And I wrote about these two bosses specifically, mm-hmm. and I didn't name them, but I said their positions, so it wasn't hard to know who I was talking about. And they both called and apologized. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't. I'm, I think I'm still working through how I felt about those apologies. Uh. It wasn't really a back and forth. I just didn't think that that was going to be productive for me. So I just kind of let them say their piece. And I mean, on the one hand, I think that I appreciate this may be too strong of a word, but I, uh, I guess was glad that I got the acknowledgement and the validation that these things happened because I knew them to be true and Mm -hmm. I knew that they happened. But the acknowledgement was a little bit healing for me, I guess. And I also appreciated it was probably uncomfortable for them to call me and uh, and apologize. Not more uncomfortable than I felt for years (laughs) on the receiving end of some of, you know, the stuff. But I think I appreciate that a bit more than the colleagues and the people who were there in those meetings and who sat there and said nothing. Nothing. And then who I know read the piece and then also said nothing and then also didn't reach out or anything. So it's hard. It's really hard to, and I'm sure a lot of black women who spoke out about their experiences at the time heard from people and had kind of the same, I still don't really know how I feel about it. Right. But I guess the apology as flawed potentially as they were, were better than nothing. So we've kept up with all of your very impressive face-to-face features, your stories, your writing, all the things. What's good column? And everybody, for <laughs> like, if you're listening and you're not familiar with Kathleen, um, she and her team break down what's soothing, distracting, and what's plain old good in the streaming world. So I feel like you, you know, have been very clear. You've grown up in the world of production. Mm-hmm. Your whole life, basically. You've always been behind the scenes, but you're also really dope on camera. So have you considered taking that a step further by maybe starting a talk show or a YouTube or something like that? Wow. Because um, <laughs> we will watch and subscribe well, and like. From the I know, so much. <laughs> maybe are we getting a scoop right now? <laughs> um, you know what? <laughs> Me doing stories and now reels. Reels are so hard, side note. But um, the work, we know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, For what's good, I think that's like the closest I'll probably get to doing my own thing. And I really haven't thought about it because it took me a long time to even come around on being on camera. But you remember that time Tyrone was trying to do a show and we were on it? Oh my God, yes. Yes. And I was like, you're so good. We did an audition together. Oh my gosh. I mean, (laughs) oh my God. It's so funny because I, I mean, I think secretly uh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a much music VJ. Mm -hmm. But I still like every job I took, internship I took was behind the scenes Mm -hmm. just because I was so scared of it. One of my good friends, Jason, who was my boss at the time at Much Music, he really like believed in me and kind of pushed, not pushed. Yeah. Yeah. I would say pushed. Forcibly pushed you. Forcibly injected. Yeah. Uh, no, but he, he put me on camera when I didn't really believe that I could be there. It took a long time. Like there's just a lot of things people, first of all, can say to you when you're on camera that oh. they just, you just w- wouldn't hear yeah. in any other <laughs> circumstance, <laughs> right? Like they're just commenting on your face and mm-hmm. your clothes and your hair. Everything. And then, you know, in that case came with like a whole lot of, right. again, microaggressions. Racism, um, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> sure. But then it was also even just like, like you don't look good in that. 
Right. And then when you're 23, yeah. <laughs> 22, yeah. and someone's telling you that, it uh. was just like, oh, I saw I really didn't want to be on camera actually after the much music experience because um, I've also told the story a million times. But the way I was taken off air was a, a boss basically looked at me and said I needed to be sassier and that I was too smart for our audience and that what? I needed to I can't. dumb it down. And he like snapped his face and like rolled his oh, neck and my, like no. basically being, this is the black girl you need to be. You're like, as this real life. So if you're going to be yeah. black, you need to be this black girl. Only, exactly. I Only this you. one. I yeah. remember you talked about that in your article. I remember reading it being like, what? So He's that, sassy. Yeah, that was, and then, and then the next day I was back to being a production assistant. And, you know, I was working a job that they hadn't promoted me to. They weren't paying me for it. And then, so I had the devastation of basically being demoted again. And then also, like, just the, his words, like, reeling in my head. I mean, like, did that That's just enough trauma fucking happen? Yeah. So I, I didn't do it on camera stuff for a while after that. And then, and now in the ways that I do them, other than when I'm, like, telling y'all what to watch <laughs> it's very either tied to something i did or you know i do panels or i'm on podcasts mm-hmm. like talking about my work or, and it doesn't feel um i don't know it just feels more natural than kind of me having my own show or me hosting a show in in that sense so yeah i haven't really thought about it planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Will anything ever change if... So one of my things always is... I, it. There's times where I'm like, okay, I'm done with social media. I need to get off. It's just not good for me. And people can attack you in so many different ways. But then I catch myself because there seems to be a grouping of people that it doesn't affect and that they're able to float over it or move through it. But does that remove all the kind of sensitive people from a space that maybe needed an injection of those people who are one, smart enough to be there, but also sensitive? So Mm. like, if you pull yourself out of that limelight or that front position, are we as a planet losing something? Huh. I mean, I, I will say that I think I've gotten better and I do say yes to on-camera stuff now. But yeah, you're right in some in some ways. I think that the answer is just like whatever is going to protect your peace. Right. Right. So I've gotten to a place where I can go on Canada tonight and talk about Megan and Harry. Mm-hmm. And I can still be, I can do it confidently yeah. and then come off of it and and not beat myself up. And like right. my anxiety is non 100. And that's taken a long time for me to get there. Right. And so, yeah, I do. And a lot of times I think, okay, well, I'm privileged enough to be in this position. I have a platform, so I've got to use it and I've got mm-hmm. to say stuff. And, and also I think that sometimes that's also knowing when to step back. 
I was asked to be on a panel to talk about something pertaining to the indigenous community. And I said no to that because I was like, get someone indigenous to talk about this. And so I think that it's, especially when it comes to social media and who's on it and who's not, I think it's first of all, protecting your peace and then also knowing when your voice is needed and potentially when it's not. Fair. Your article in January titled How the Racial Trauma of 2020 Fucked with Our Bodies and What to Do About It in 2021 (laughs) on Refunny 29 moved us. There were helpful tactics around having a healthier 2021. What has worked for you this year in terms of reversing the effects of trauma? Yeah, that's something I'm still working on. Like WIP for everybody because the dramas keep coming. Seriously. In progress. Seriously. Oh my gosh, they just keep coming. And I like say this in the lead is because I, when I wrote the piece in July that we've talked about, I, I was so, I have anxiety in general, but my anxiety was next level. Like I could feel it in my bones. I thought that I would never work again. Because I was writing something about the bosses at Bell Media, like one of the biggest media companies in this country. And I was like, if I get blackballed there, there's not many other places to go. Like if Refinery29 shuts down tomorrow, I I was very scared of not working again. And then you're also dealing with the reason I was writing it was because we're dealing with trauma in general of watching black bodies being murdered (laughs) every day and then conversations like you know white friends from like high school coming out of the woodworks to want to have these conversations or apologize to me or whatever it was so it was like all this trauma Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was just manifesting in my body like I couldn't feel my toes for a long time I wasn't sleeping and I just kept thinking 2020 took years off my life. I know this. Like, this is doing actual damage to me. I didn't get my period in a long time. (laughs) Like, I, there was other physical things that I honestly have not, traumatic things that I have, I I will have not talked about and will not be able to for a while, I'm sure. And so that's where the the idea for this piece was. I was just like, I gotta, I wanna talk to some experts about what this has actually done to our bodies. Cause I knew I was not the only person feeling like this. Um, and what we can do about it. And the woman I spoke to, first of all, it was the the validation again to be like, this is trauma. Because I was hesitant to use that word when it came to what I was going through. Because I was, you know, talking to people and looking at people who who had gone through actual traumas, who had lost their sons or their brothers or their sisters or their daughters or, you know, people in the trans community who we're being left out of this conversation when, you know, it is life or death for them. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I can't use trauma for yeah. me. Like, come on, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. And then a lot of the experts I talked to were like, no, it, you can use that word. And even the exhaustion and the physical effects that you're experiencing, that is a form of trauma and you need to do something <laughs> to try to reverse it. And it's, I mean, it's all the things you would think like sleep, talk you therapy, <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. all of that. Um, But it's also boundary setting for sure. And like knowing when to potentially tap out of those conversations or tap out of the news cycle, which I mean, I can't really do with my (laughs) job. But if you can, I would recommend it. Like sometimes it's you don't need to take it on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the hard things about trauma. Like we get because we understand privilege, the, the privilege part of your mind is like, okay, don't be ungrateful that this isn't happening. Like this worst yeah. thing isn't happening to you. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then as Black women, because you're, you're taught to muscle through stuff, like you yeah. just said it at the beginning, and we're all like guilty of muscling through the thing. Mm-hmm. 
And so you're like, okay, well, this person has it worse or whatever. But that doesn't make it not bad. That doesn't make what's happening not trauma. Yeah. And that if you don't, if you don't figure it out. So even if you want to tell yourself that you can muscle through and that you have something better, it'll manifest itself no matter what. Like as much Mm -hmm. as you try to quiet something down and pack it away, it's coming out. Some, some way or another and you don't want Absolutely. it to, it's gonna be when it rears its ugly head in a couple of years you're not gonna like it or even right now yeah right that's that thing about stress that funny thing yeah <laughs> it's literally sickening like you said yeah. like taking over your full body mm-hmm. and you trying to belittle like the you fat. just said you didn't feel your toes like like well, what people hello that's 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 it like that's yeah. it. it's right there yeah. you know it's like so many people would say that at first i would be like well i can't sleep and there's no reason why really yeah you're going to bed you at could, a reasonable hour go to sleep, but it was carrying the load of everything in the day and knowing that we were living in this space where of so much unknown mm-hmm. and wondering how are we going to carry through to the next day and how are we going to fix it if we can't fix it we don't have any tools mm-hmm. we don't we don't know it's still there so we're just like and, and that's think. the thing, too, where it's like, I mean, I get a lot of like, why do you bring race into everything? Blah, blah. But it's in also like, yeah, yes. What? yes, I love that Amanda Seals quote. It's oh my like, God. Why, why do you see race in everything? And it's like, because I can see and it's in everything. Um, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Yeah, I love also, it. lucky you that you can't. Yeah. yeah. Should only yeah. we all be so fortunate. But it, it's also like this pandemic. It's I was just saying all the things that were traumatizing and I didn't even mention the pandemic. Right. Right. Exactly. right? So that's like on top of. everybody's dealing with anxiety and stress because we're in a very anxious and stressful time being in a global pandemic. And then it's on top of that is the pandemic of racial trauma. Right. I'm calling it a panini now. Yes. Yeah. Upon the replay. Yeah. Upon (laughs) the replay. Anything that's not that word anymore because I'm like, I'm very triggered by that word and pivot. I and unmute yourself, but like oh only God. for Zoom. <laughs> I don't want to hear any of those words anymore. So we're in a global panini. We're listening and we're laughing. <laughs> we should make a list of the worst used phrases of the panini of in 2020. Yeah, yeah. There, that would be the New Testament Listen on its learning. own. Um, I want to jump back to Meghan, Markle, and Harry. We loved all the coverage that you did. Thank and you. I think for the people who weren't able to keep up with your response to their interview, with Oprah, what was your response? What was your initial reaction? How did you find covering it? I mean, I love mess. I love (laughs) gossip. We like a little tea, baby. I love a little tea. And I really dislike the monarchy. And I I grew up in a house who like, with my mom, my mom's Jamaican and, and, you know, Jamaican moms and aunties love Diana. Oh my God. Oh my God. Right? My grandma in her house on the mountaintop had this like plate with Diana's face on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the wedding plates, I'm like, one, where did you get these from? (laughs) Two, why? are they in your like cabinet it was amazing <laughs> no they <laughs> do the night yeah. she died was my dad's like oh, yeah. 38th birthday and we were all having like, a rager at my parents house and then she died and we got the news it was quite late and all of the aunties the grandmas came over like everybody was like devastated and then we drank to her obviously <laughs> yeah we drank in party as in celebration yeah. as yeah. we do so we, Jamaicans were serious about yeah. Lady D. So it was, and then the, that, if you loved Diana, there was a point, of course, when you did not like the monarchy. And then also uh, my dad is from Ghana and you, we know the African countries who were colonized by mm-hmm. England. So I just had a vested interest in somebody bringing down the monarchy and then also <laughs> in the gossip. And so I tuned in just like excited for all of that. And I think my initial reactions 
was just like excitement and just just for the tea. And then it it got a little darker, obviously, because of Megan talking about, you know, the the moment where she talks about how Archie, how someone in the family was questioning how dark Arch- Archie's mm-hmm. skin would be, right? That just like where we got the incredible Oprah what made from, right? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. And so, and these things that weren't necessarily surprising. Because you're like, oh, what? yeah, that family who uh, built everything on colonization, <laughs> like colonialism, um, racism, of course. Yes, of course. They said some racist shit. Yeah. Um, but it was still um, really sad to hear. And yeah, so I think I, I walked away from the interview being like, wow, that was a lot of mess and good tea. And I'm grateful to Rachel, Meghan Markle for that. But also I was like, okay, this brings up a lot of conversations mm-hmm. about interracial relationships, brings up a lot of conversations about colorism. Um, and it brings up a lot of conversations about how we navigate white institutions. And also, and what I wrote after was the faith we put in them. Ooh. And the moment that really stuck out to me, stuck out to me was when Megan said, my one regret is that I believed them when they said they would protect me. And to me, that was a moment that really summed up a lot about Megan as well, where, you know, we know she's she's light-skinned. She's walked through the world being a, a certain type of Black woman, which to a lot of people, because of white supremacy, that's like a palatable, I'm using air quotes, mm, that, word. that oh, is yeah. a more desirable, again, air quotes, looking Black mm-hmm. woman. She is able to navigate the world as a Black woman easier mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. dark-skinned Black women. Yep. And so because of that, she went into this institution rooted in colonialism and racism thinking that they would protect her. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Could it be me? Like, I, I, right? You would never... Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths or speak for everybody, but it just to me that was a moment of, yeah, she put her faith in this white institution because she hasn't had to face racism in the same way throughout her life. And then she was hit with it. And she was like, Wow, I regret ever thinking that it wasn't gonna go like this. And for me, the moment of when I put faith in a white institution and it let me down was earlier in my life. It was all the career moments we've been talking about. It was moments at school. It was even, you know, my parents telling me, you can't trust Mm -hmm. (laughs) certain people Mm -hmm. because this is how they're going to view you and this is how they're going to treat you. And so I think that interview, really, we were able to have this conversation about colorism and have this conversation about about how the world views Black women, no matter what we look like. And Megan is in that conversation, even though, and people were trying to write off what she said. Oh, well, look at her. Like, she's barely a Black person. You know, that's what other people were saying. And it's like, okay, but they saw her as Black. Yeah, They saw Archie, who's like... Like one drop. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah, They saw Archie as Black and as a threat. And he's a baby. And so I think it was just, like, very clear that no matter what, that like a black woman is such a threat um, in this world. And if we don't confront that and talk about it openly, that's never going to change. Right. I think a lot of people made an assumption about her too, like not having gone through those experiences as a black woman Mm. throughout her whole life, which I found interesting. Someone I know was like, oh, when when they got married, you see they had like the black pastor and the choir. And she's basically implying like she's trying to be more black. I'm like, excuse me, Mm -hmm. ma'am. 
Just to be super clear, how do you know that her whole life hasn't been spent with her black mom, Doreen? Shout out, Doreen. Are you? I love to... Doreen Redland so much. Doreen I think about her is a queen all the time. But the idea that people do this thing where they they're they're implicit, they're trying to be like, oh hey, but now she's trying to be more black, baby. She's been black. She's been black. And here we are, like back at those conversations. And when you said that comment about your parents talking to you about like who not mm-hmm. to trust. I literally remember my dad being like, Cleo, just to be clear, and I grew up in Edmonton, Mm -hmm. you are black. Mm -hmm. He's like, you happen to have a white mother. Mm -hmm. The world sees you this way. It is what it is. Even if you decide like, hey, I'm going to identify as a mixed race person, whatever you want, do Mm -hmm. what you want. But that's how people will decide who you are as a person. And as I got older, like, I, you know, you live in like the the biracial funny world in the Mm -hmm. in-between. And I was like, oh, I don't want to deny my mom. And then I had to realize one day, like, this isn't about denying my mom. It has nothing to do with that. My mom's white. We know (laughs) that. Yeah. But the interactions that I have when people look at me say something different. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the reality. And that's why colorism is like so hard to navigate. It is. And I think but I think also and the biggest thing that I try to do in my writing and in my work, which I think gets lost a lot of the times on Twitter, is there's nuance. Of a lot of things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Yes. So Megan's proximity to whiteness has given her privilege yes. as a black woman. Yes. That's true. It's also true that she's experienced racism as a black woman. That's also true. It's true that she's privileged and rich. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's also true that she had was suicidal because of how poorly this family treated her because she was a black woman. Also true. Like all of yeah. those things mm-hmm. can be true at the same time. And none of those things negate the other experience. hundred percent. And the public is not to decide which value is lesser or more mm-hmm. than for her experiences. They weren't there. Mm-hmm. They don't know. I think all those things to say, we've talked a lot about like the bad and some great stuff too. But what are you most proud of in terms of how black women and people of color are being reflected and represented in the media now? Ooh, I mean, there's just so much great work, I think, that's being seen by more people now, which is great. I think one of the things about representation is this idea that the work wasn't already there. And it was. I mean, Black creators and Black artists have been doing this work forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, a, you know, people weren't paying attention to it or people weren't recognizing it. Um, and so I think I'm excited and proud that other Black women writers like myself and and so many of my peers in this industry in Canada that I'm I'm so grateful that they exist. The people are paying a little bit more attention to what mm-hmm. we have to say, and that because we have platforms, we're able to then spotlight other works mm-hmm. that are yes. that are really exciting. And yeah, I'm just I'm really proud of some of the work that I've seen. Like, I'm thinking of this movie, Miss Juneteenth. I've been talking about it really for a while now and recommending it on every platform I can. It's written and directed by Channing Godfrey Peoples, who is just like this incredible talent. And I'm so excited to see what she does next. Yeah. And that movie, it's like this really small indie film that I don't think a few years ago we would be talking about Mm -hmm. on a mainstream level. And I think, you know, even in... I just wrote about this after the Grammys and the Oscar nominations came in. But there's there's a lot of firsts and a lot of records happening because it's like the first black woman to do this. So Viola Davis is um, the most nominated black woman in Oscar history. She has four. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's, For, that's, yeah. yeah. To, in comparison, Meryl Streep has 21 right. nominations. So I think that it's... A lot of the time when we talk about representation, and I also always caveat, like, representation will not save us, especially just in front of the camera. 
it's it's great and it's and I do think it's important. I think that, you know, depending on who you talk to, representation in and of itself is not important. I think that it still is because I know what that means to young people growing up and that representation does matter in a sense, but it can't be the only thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, we're talking about behind the scenes. We're talking about dismantling entire systems. But I think some of the progress when we talk about representation, it's like, okay, well, now there's Black women nominated four times. There's two Black women nominated in the Best Actress category. Or Beyonce has the most Grammys ever. But those are exceptions. And those are very small things. And it should be embarrassing that in 2021, Black women are breaking records. Or the first Black woman is this. Yeah. Like, that should be embarrassing to everybody mm-hmm. involved. And we should more be talking about like dismantling dismantling entire systems and how to change stuff behind the scenes as well as in front of the scenes. And still there's a lot of inequality. But I am very excited about the work that's out there and about the platforms um, being amplified where we can celebrate that work Mm -hmm. and we can say hey watch this thing it's amazing you know Issa Rae is one of the most successful people in Hollywood and the work that she does is so black and and so relatable and I'm just excited that she's opening the doors for hopefully a lot more Issa Rae's. Now in the thick of two global pandemics or paninis or whatever you want to call them (laughs) You just talked about a lot of things that are inspiring you, but how do you stay motivated to keep creating, producing, collaborating? Um, I think of the next generation a lot. I think of what a younger me would have needed or how excited and proud of me she would have been. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think of her a lot. And then I think of, you know, before the Ponda replay. I (laughs) would go back to my old high school and like give talks and stuff and interact a little bit more with young people. And yeah, those, that is what keeps me going all the time. It's just, there is a a black girl who needs to know that she can be herself earlier. Now she doesn't have to wait till she grows up and that she matters and that she is worthy. And yeah, I'm going to try not to get emotional. <laughs> no, um, I was like, I meant to that. <laughs> so honestly. Yeah. But it's yeah, I think that that keeps me going for sure. And then also my peers. Again, um, I'm not the only person doing this work at all by any means. There's so many people who came before me. There's so many people who are doing it alongside me. And they keep me motivated. And I'm just so grateful to them. Do you have any practices, like daily practices, daily routines that keep you inspired? I should. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're no. fine. Keep can, moving. Can or not. Nothing wrong with um, that. You know, I I try to meditate. I do not do it every day. I started praying a little bit more during the Pentagon. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, and that was, it was more meditation than it was mm-hmm. about necessarily religion or praying to a specific anything. It was just, that was something I grew up with. And so it was like the nostalgia of it and the like stillness of it helped a lot. I don't do yoga as much as I should. I'm not even going to say that. My partner would be like, ha, you said yoga? Ha. When? I think that's just an important um, thing to acknowledge is that a lot of people say like, well, yes, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. And um, I think a lot of people inflate that and it actually 
works in reverse. It actually makes people feel worse. So yes, if you do that, that's amazing. And we can strive to have those things. But I think it's really great that you just said not really, (laughs) because it's just as inspiring (laughs) people to know that you're not a fuck up if you don't do your meditation every morning, you know? Yeah. And I think I've actually been talking about this a lot on panels is like, the way that, especially in in this industry, because it's so fast paced, we glorify busy bragging mm. and we glorify this hustle. Yeah. So when I say like I did an interview a couple days after the Meghan and Harry thing and I hadn't slept yet, like the night it happened, I stayed up writing and then I was on uh, a morning show and then I did all I did all I was just doing all the things. I didn't sleep for like two days. And then I said that in a panel and, and somebody like I could see that it was like admiration. Like, <laughs> I was no, like, no, no, no. no we should not be. It's bad yeah. that I didn't sleep. That's horrible. Again, going back to how trauma lives in our bodies, like that's going to take years off my life if I'm not sleeping. That's bad. It is not a good thing. We should not celebrate that. Right. And yeah, the same as like, oh, I'm so busy all the time. And I still do this. And I and I use that like being busy as like a badge of honor. And sometimes it can be short and being busy is a blessing, especially during this when, you know, a lot of people are looking for work. So having a lot of work, it's a blessing. But I think we should also put emphasis and celebrate when we're doing nothing and we're just like sitting around. I watch a lot of TV. That's my self-care. And I, my therapist says that's not healthy, that escaping via television and binging. Oh, that, that's <laughs> like, that's that. We like that's TV. That's definitely my self-care. Yeah, that, that is our self-care. That was a question for me, but I enjoy that because I'm like, Real Housewives of Atlanta, just, like starting from season six, I'm just like... Yeah, I mean... Zoning out. Transforming yeah. myself right there, honey. <laughs> I feel like it's just, it's almost like how I meditate. Like, I'm, I'm not actually paying attention to it most of the time. Like, I'm not drinking in this invigorating content on 90 day fiance (laughs) (laughs) i mean sometimes it's funny (laughs) but it's that's how i like decompress sometimes Mm -hmm. i just i don't want to scroll on my phone and i don't feel like reading so i'm just gonna watch some tv I don't know. I'm I'm a question not therapist sorry, on that one. I'm sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she knows that that's how I do it. She's basically just being like, also go outside though. Also take a walk. We can have a walk. We can have a walk. Yeah. Do you have anybody that you really look up to? And has anyone ever told you something that has just kind of stuck with you forever? Um, I we will love say, that. like, some of the names that just come to mind immediately are some of the Black women in media that I saw before me that made me believe it was possible to do this. So Tracy Moore, Marcy Ian, Nam, Tracy Melshore, who actually got me my first internship or my second internship in New York, which I honestly is like, I owe my entire career to her because... Everybody knows if you're in Toronto, you come back from the States. Everyone's like, wow, you worked in New York. <laughs> yeah, true, <laughs> And true. so um, doing an internship in New York, I think, really gave me leverage to like get the job I got when I came back. And Tracy Melshore did that. She had a hookup through her ex-husband. So, yeah, I, I have a, like a lot of women I look to. And then a, a couple of mentors I've had, um, Duana Taha, who is a writer for Laney and also a screenwriter and producer. She became my mentor like pretty early on. And she is to this day, if I have a, a career question or an interview or something, I call Duanna and she gives me advice. But if, if there's a specific thing that any of them have told me, Duanna always says this improv thing, which I like, but there's limits to it. But she, it's, the, <laughs> it's the yes and mm. improv thing, which is, you know, if somebody is asking you something or offering you something you think yes first 
and what? And how can I add on to it? And so that's an improv thing. If you're on stage, you don't know what to do. You just say yes and keep (laughs) going. And that has served me really well. She also says to, you know, ride the train in the direction it's going. So that helped me a lot when I made my decision to leave uh, Bell Media. It was my train felt like it was going in a different direction and I needed to get on it or stay in the same place. But I also think there's limits to both of those things, which is like knowing when to say no Mm -hmm. as well (laughs) and having boundaries and maybe sometimes getting off the train when you need to. (laughs) But yeah, I am. One of the things Marcy Ian has taught me is to lead by example and to lead with kindness and kindness and being nice are two different things. (laughs) You don't necessarily. That that slaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Marcy Ian is a very kind through her soul, kind human being but she's not gonna be nice to you if you don't deserve it (laughs) and i mean she's like kind to everyone because she sees the good in everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so i i work a little differently than her (laughs) and that i don't see the good in everybody sometimes um but yeah she's just marcy makes you feel really good when you're in her presence and i think i try to remind myself of that especially when she's like didn't need to be like a lot of people who are on camera and who are as like famous as she is aren't at that kind or don't think of every single person on set and know their names and know their kids names and she's that person so that example has really stuck with me she never she's never thought she's better than anybody and she's better than so many people <laughs> <laughs> shout out marcy yes is there someone you're itching to meet and sit down with in hollywood what would be your first Ooh. topic of conversation who are you dying to talk to I mean, I feel like Oprah's always mm-hmm. the person just because I grew up with her yeah. and she actually one of the things I do is I listen to the Oprah Super Soul Sunday podcast. Those. Yeah, That sometimes is like my Sunday meditation. So I would love to sit down with Oprah and Gail mm-hmm. because I feel like I am the Gail in that in that relationship. <laughs> I am not an Oprah in my soul. Like I'm not again in front of the camera limelight person i am the gail i'm the person like working behind the scenes but is still very good at her job and like still dope <laughs> gail king is dope as so hell dope. but yeah so i would love to sit down with both of them and yeah i think i what would, would you ask, ask them what's the first topic oh, that's so mm. they're both Megan and harry or what they're both incredible <laughs> interviewers so that's a lot of pressure <laughs> to be like what question do you ask these two women who are great at asking questions i think i would ask them about their friendship because I I also think that like black female friendship is so important especially in this industry to keep going I don't think Oprah or Gail would be where they are if they didn't have each other and I think they would say that as well I think they have said that so I would want to know a little bit more about that and then I would I want to know something that no one else knows mm. <laughs> i would be like the tea yes All the tea. i would just be like please tell me i would want to know their interaction with a celebrity that nobody else right. knows the that they want to tell me yes <laughs> i mean we love all the tea is there anything exciting that you're working on coming up oh yeah i mean there's one thing i can't talk about but it's a profile with a blast from the past i can say that mm. who I feel like if you are a millennial human, also who grew up in Canada, you will know this person and be really excited. And I actually just had a really interesting conversation. Have any of you seen Judas and the Black Messiah 
Okay. So it's um it's the movie that Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are nominated for yes. Oscars. And it's about Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. And I just interviewed um, in the movie Fred Hampton's fiance, who was pregnant at the time of his murder by the FBI, is played by Dominique Fishback. Um, her name is Mother Akua. And I just interviewed her. And I interviewed the um, co-founder of the Black Panther Party, uh, Huey P. Newton, his wife. Huey P. Newton is dead, as most of the organizers were mm-hmm. at the time. But his wife, Frederica, I interviewed them together. And they told me wow. stories just about, like, the beginning of the Black Panther Party and all of the work that they did, which is, like, so much of it people don't know about. Like, it's they started the a free breakfast program for kids. Like, it was a lot of humanitarian work and not, like, this crazy fear-mongering. What has been sold to us. <laughs> that, yeah, people tell you about the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of sisterhood there. And and they got emotional. Mother Akua cried. And it was just, like, this really incredible conversation. We kind of talked, we touched on this before, but just how, not how do you self-care with bubble baths and things like that, but really, <laughs> like, how do you take care of yourself? Hmm. And we kind of touched on the prayer your therapist telling you to go for walks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is there I anything mean, else? A big thing. My dog. My dog's mm. name is Apollo Creed. Oh. Um, yeah, we're we're big Rocky fans in my house, and Michael B. Jordan. Fans. Yeah, <laughs> more Michael B. Jordan too. <laughs> but yeah, my dog Apollo really helps me. Like he, my partner is from Newfoundland, and he goes back to Newfoundland a lot. And he, she wants to take Apollo with him every time. And I'm like, no. no, that is, I would go insane without him. Like, he is, keeps me grounded. First of all, makes me leave the house to take right. him for a while. Right, there you go. <laughs> Forces me to do that. And then, yeah, he's just really calming. Like, when you look at a little animal who has no care in the world other than, like, making you happy or, like, food and water or, like, going outside to run around, you're kind of like... Yeah, it can be that simple. It can. Right? Like, yeah, it's true. We it's just about got the dog. little things. Changes everything. Yeah, and the what small kind of joys. Dog is he? He's a, a mix. So he was adopted, mm-hmm. rescued. Um, so he's part Chihuahua, and that's all we know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but he, we, we think he's he's a big he's big for a Chihuahua. So we yeah. think he's like part mini greyhound potentially. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's real cute. <laughs> a little cute baby. <laughs> This has all been great, Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Conversations with Coco and Friends. We are beyond thankful that you spilled a little tea, caught up with us, (laughs) um, and that our listeners got some insight from the source herself. So everybody, you guys can keep up with Kathleen by following her at Kathleen. And let me spell the whole thing for you, actually, because it's not phonetic. It's (laughs) K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-N-B. So Kathleen with two N's and then a B. And uh, follow Refinery29 at Refinery29. And Unbothered. Yes, at R29 Unbothered. (laughs) There it is, baby. All right. Thank you for joining us. Coz, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple. And don't forget to follow us on Spotify. You can continue keeping up with our adventure on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Now go tell your friends about it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.